Hello and welcome to COS Live. You can watch the original video broadcast live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's COS Live. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another special edition of COS Live. I'm your host today. I'm Rita Peters, Senior Vice President for Legislative Affairs with Convention of States Action. And today we'll be live streaming for you coverage from the Kansas House of Representatives, which you see on the screen beside me right now. They are just getting started and we are expecting them to take up our Convention of States resolution. It's in, known in Kansas as HCR 5008. That is our Convention of States application for an Article 5 convention to propose amendments to the U.S. Constitution on three topics, imposing fiscal restraints on the federal government, limiting federal power and jurisdiction, and setting term limits for federal officials and members of Congress. Like I said, the Kansas House session is just getting started for the day, and we expect them to bring up our resolution, HCR 5008, fairly quickly in their meeting today. So in just a moment, we're just going to go ahead and take you live to the coverage of that House meeting. And uh, you'll see a few preliminaries. It's possible they'll take up another bill or two quickly before they get to ours, but we don't want you to miss it. So we're going to focus on letting you watch the proceedings there in the Kansas House. Um, just briefly, I'll tell you that we got to this point first by passing through the House Committee on Federal and State Affairs in Kansas by a vote of 13 to 10. And today is the day for floor action. Now, today will be second reading in the Kansas House. So this is the day we will hear most of the debate on the Convention of States application by our Kansas House members. However, today's vote will not be the final vote. <clears throat> Excuse me, the final vote is expected to happen tomorrow. But it's a very special day today. They're calling it Article 5 Day in Kansas because we're about to bring you the coverage of the House floor session. But later this afternoon, the Kansas Senate will also be meeting, and they are expected also to vote on second reading of our Convention of States application in the Kansas Senate. So again, they're calling it Article 5 Day in Kansas. Our senior regional director, Dave Schneider, is there on the ground leading the charge with our amazing Kansas grassroots volunteer team. They're all there to watch what happens today. We also have Convention of States founder and President Mark Meckler on site today, as well as former U.S. Senator Rick Santorum. And right after the House acts today on our application, they're going to be doing a rally right outside on the steps at the Capitol with our grassroots volunteer team. So it's a huge day in Kansas for Convention of States, and we're happy to be able to bring you coverage of um, the parts of it that we're most excited to see. So again, you may have to wait um, a few minutes, but we want to go ahead and take you live to the Kansas House of Representatives. All right. Good morning, body. It's a great day to be a Kansan. Our uh, first order of business is HCR 5008. For the purpose of carrying HCR 5008, the chair recognizes Representative Sanders. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, there were committee amendments and I move adoption of the committee report. You've heard the motion. All in favor signify by saying aye. Opposed, no. Motion passes. Committee report is added. Representative, you may continue. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Concurrent resolution 5008 is a resolution applying to Congress of the United States to call a convention of the states for the purpose of proposing amendments to the Constitution of the United States and impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, limits the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and limits the terms of officials and federal 
uh, government of the federal government and members of Congress. There were 15 proponents in the uh, Fed and State Committee. There were three opponents, and there was no neutral testimony. There were a presentation, or a, uh, it was reported that over 41,000 Kansans, Kansans have signed a petition in favor of a convention of states. Now, before I get uh, too far into this, I would like to ask you to indulge me for just a moment. I would kindly ask you to get paper and pen out and write down a number if you would, please. And the number I'd like you to write down is 31 trillion, 630 billion, 226,438 and 72 cents. That number is the approximate current national debt. And I get that from the national debt uh, clock. It's a number that's um, hard to give you exactly because it is constantly going up. Our federal constitution was written with means to amend the constitution. To date, there have been 27 amendments, including one that repealed a prior amendment. Each of these amendments had to be ratified by three-fourths of the states at the time, and each was ratified on the basis that each state gets one vote. But before amendments can be ratified and added to the Constitution, they must be initiated or proposed. The Constitution provides for two methods for amending our United States Constitution. One of those methods is the method that has been used on the previous 27 amendments. That's where Congress proposes the amendments. They pass out of both houses of the chamber and they uh, get approved by or not by the various state legislatures. The other method is that when two thirds of the state request it, the Congress is required to hold what's commonly known as a convention of the states or an Article 5 convention for the purpose of proposing amendments to the Constitution. The federal government is operating at a level of power and control over our individual lives that has never been seen before. It is time to exercise the authority given us in Article 5 of the Constitution to put a check on that power. Risk is involved. And risk of doing nothing and not passing this resolution is just as high or higher than passing it. Opponents say that this is a foreign process with unknowable results, but the facts of history tell a much different story. First of all, it is in plain language of the Constitution and has been used to get us several of our existing amendments. While it's true that a full convention has not yet met, past efforts have caused Congress to initiate the desired action for amendments 1 through 10, as well as the 18th, 20th, and 27th amendments. In fact, Kansas still has open resolutions for two possible callings of conventions of states, one from 1951 calling for changes to federal taxing authority and another from 1978 for a balanced budget amendment. Friends, the time has, call, has come to call a convention of states. And with that, I'll be happy to stand for questions. Does any members wish to speak to the bill? Chair recognizes Representative Howe. Oi. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I think that was a good explanation of this House concurrent resolution. Uh, this is my second term, third time speaking on Article 5, Convention of States. It does um, come up time and time again here. And this one in particular, 
uh, tries to impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, but I'd like to reiterate that it is not that there it is not certain that we can keep to a single subject on this matter. So if we uh, call the Article 5 convention, other topics could potentially come up as well. The other big concern that I have is the process in selecting delegates. This bill is silent on that. We don't have a process in place in Kansas to do such. And the only other, the proposal that I see this session to do that would make it possible that our delegation has zero representatives from the minority party, which I don't think it's a good um, process to call a convention without pr the proper representation of the Kansas delegation to weigh in on potential changes to our U.S. Constitution. So with that, uh, oh, and, and I, I believe the carrier mentioned that this does require a two-thirds vote uh, from our body to advance this on, though I think the bill is silent on that as well. I uh, urge you to join me in voting no. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. For further discussion, the chair recognizes Representative Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Chair. What does interpose mean in law? Thought history, thought government, and it was a difficult subject to teach and share with my students. But under the theory of interposition, a state assumes the right to interpose itself between the federal government and the people of the state. Put us between them by taking action to prevent the federal government from enforcing laws the state considers unconstitutional. Interposition. It was in 1913 that the 17th Amendment came into law. It was passed and created direct election of our officials in Washington. Prior to that, they were selected by the legislatures of each state. Since that time, that has allowed the Senate to continue with long terms, to use dark money, huge sums of campaign money to remain in office, irrespective of what their local states really desired. The result, as we've all seen, have been careers of 50 or more years for senators that literally die in their position. So without the interposition of individual states to convene a convention of states, we have not the ability to resolve the degradation of our constitutional law. Without that interposition, we will continue to become a bureaucratically controlled government, government by bureaucrats and not by the people. And that, my friends, erodes all of the freedoms of the individual. I support the Convention of the States. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. There'll be no outbursts from the gallery, no clapping from the gallery. For further discussion, the chair recognizes Representative Eric Smith. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I come up here, I don't have any prepared speech for you. This, this idea is something that I, that's why I'm up here. Um, I came out in 2015, helped a friend of mine um, go to each of the legislature, uh, each of the legislators and let them know that they have a duty. Um, at the time, Article 5 had not been revived yet in, in such a manner that everyone was aware of it, and so it was kind of this new idea. Since that time, I got elected to the legislature, uh, talked to my legislator a little too long. She thought maybe I needed to run. Um, so anyway, I ended up up here. I've come up and spoken to this thing four or five times. Um, I was encouraged by some to speak again today uh, there are those in this legislature who believe that this is a dangerous thing. I, I've looked at this since 2013. I see you waving. I've looked at this since 2013. I've heard the arguments. I've read the other side's arguments. I've looked at it. You know, there are so many things in the Constitution that does not give us a 
line of how we take care of things. It doesn't give us instruction of how to run the Supreme Court. It doesn't give us instruction of how the, how the different states' attorneys can sue the U.S. or what process they have to follow. It tells us that we have a right as a state. And maybe you didn't know that coming into this, that you would have a, a unique honor in being a member of a legislature, a state legislature, that you would go into a process that's introduced in the U.S. Constitution under Article 5. It's a unique process in that we don't have to have permission from anyone but ourselves, two-thirds of ourselves, to call for, that con uh, for Kansas to become part of that convention. We don't have to go to the governor. That's not in there. This is all on us, and it's the only part of the U.S. Constitution that delineates that the, that the state legislature needs to get involved. If you read the Federalist Papers on this issue, they speak specifically to why they asked for this, why Colonel George Mason came up and said, look, we got to get this fixed before we finish up, and it was right before they finished up that he came up there and said that. He said, if there's no way for the states to step in and stop a monster tyranny that come, might come from the federal end, what have we accomplished? And so we had to put this into the Constitution, and now we stand for generations, by the way. This has been debated for generations. This is not a new argument. Anything you're getting in your email is not a new argument and has been debated, and scholars have looked at it. We're going to have to come up with, with a process when we get there. I have the distinct honor of being uh, invited to be a delegate this year to a simulated convention of states in Williamsburg, Virginia, and I plan to go, where we will practice this once again. It's been done before. I think another legislator I'm looking at now, he, he participated before. It gives you so much insight into how this will work. We're so fearful that we're not capable. We are absolutely capable, and I'll stop there. Uh, if you have questions, I would love to speak to you about it, but I stand in support of this and all conventions of state. Thank you. Gallery, let me be clear. If there's one more outburst, you will be asked to leave. We will have decorum in this house. Thank you. For further discussion, the chair recognizes Representative Murphy. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Our lives are full of emotion. Love, envy, happiness, anger, hate, disgust cross our paths every day. Fear is one of the greatest motivating factors. Fear can be natural and it can be healthy, but we have to learn to control our fears. As a child, we might be afraid of the dark, what might be under our bed, or we might be afraid of the dentist. As we mature, our fears shift. We might be afraid of heights or flying or commitment or dying. Fear does not necessarily mean an immediate reaction, but rather a heightened awareness to use our senses and determine a course of action. There can be times that none of our options look good, and yet we know we must act, so we take all the information at hand and we make a decision. Remember, if you don't act, you've acted. A person from the city might be afraid when they get out in the wilderness, and a person from the wilderness might be afraid when they get in the city. A prudent person might reduce or eliminate that fear by arming themselves. They train and they prepare before they put themselves in that situation. A firearm in the hands of someone trained in its use can defend themselves from predators, both two-legged and four-legged. Just recently, fear drove our nation in a sharp turn away from liberty. Fear has and, is been, has and is being used with global warming, cooling change. It's used in our schools daily to make our kids afraid of what's going on. But telling us we're going to die in 50 or even 20 years isn't terribly scary. But telling us we're going to die tomorrow, that gets people's attention. Being told that you'll kill your parents or your grandparents if you don't do this or that. Many people tripped over themselves, exchanging liberty for security, and in the end, of course, they had neither one. None of the official solutions had any basis in science or fact. 
So what does all that have to do with why we're here today? We're told we must not, we cannot use Article 5 because we must be afraid of the potential consequences. Is that any different than being told we cannot and must not use a firearm to protect ourselves? Is there any difference in the argument we must fear the Second Amendment and, the, and the, that we must fear Article 5? Is it not true the framers enumerated both of these for the same reason, to assure ourselves the right of self-protection against tyranny? By 1821, Chief Justice John Marshall had determined that the Supreme Court of the United States was the final authority in the United States, something that was not enumerated in the powers granted to them in Article 3. Marbury v. Madison and later Cohen v. Virginia especially upset Thomas Jefferson to the point he wrote Justice William Johnson on 12 June of 1823. So we're very close to the 200th anniversary of that letter. He spoke of his frustration over the usurpation of power by the Chief Justice. In his lengthy letter, he lays out the case, and he says the following. I wish for no straining of words against the general government, nor yet against the states. I believe the states can best govern our home concerns. The general government are foreign ones. I wish, therefore, to see maintained that wholesome distribution of powers established by the Constitution for the limitation of both, and never to see all offices transferred to Washington were further withdrawn from the eyes of the people, they may more secretly be bought and sold at the market. It was 200 years ago. He had an idea of what was going to go on. But the Chief Justice says there must be an ultimate arbiter somewhere. Jefferson continues and says, true, there must. But does it prove it is either party? The ultimate arbiter is the people of the Union assembled by their deputies at convention at the call of Congress or two-thirds of the states. Let them decide to which they meant to give an authority claimed by two of their organs. And it has been the peculiar wisdom and felicity of our Constitution to have provided this peaceable appeal for that of other nations that it wants to force. We're told to fear the process given to us by our founders. That it is proven the Constitution was a runaway convention, but I disagree with that. But for the sake of argument, let's assume it was. The delegates violated their oath and they did something unauthorized, so they brought back a new document that required nine of the 13 states to ratify. If they didn't agree with that, would they have not refused? If they brought them back something that they did not want, did not approve of, they would have said no. At least three or four should have, yet three states ratified with a unanimous vote. Five had overwhelming majorities and six had closer votes in the end. 14 states ratified it, including Vermont, who entered the Union in 1791. Do we have anything to fear but fear itself? Fear says, what if? Faith says, even if. We must arm each state with a weapon given us by our founders. We must pass this resolution and live by faith. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you. For further discussion, the Chair recognizes Representative Will Carpenter. Good morning, colleagues. I just want to uh, visit with you a little bit about what the national debt actually is. Um, among the fastest things on Earth, the speed of light, 186,282 miles per second. The speed of federal spending is $197,000 per second. The current national debt <clears throat> equals not is 31 and a half trillion dollars it's, it's probably another half trillion dollars in the time that we've spoke here today but it's ninety four thousand sixty four dollars for every person living in the united states it's two hundred thirty nine thousand seven hundred seventy six dollars for every person for every household in the united states it's six and a half times the annual federal revenue it's 124% of our annual economic output. At the close of 2022, going on about the total federal debt, it's $14.7 trillion in liabilities not accounted for in the publicly held national debt as federal, such as federal employee retirement benefits, accounts payable, and environmental disposal liabilities. It's $45 trillion in unfunded obligations for the current Social Security participants. It's $52.6 trillion 
for the unfunded obligations for current Medicare uh, benefits. So as you can see, I'm not going to bore you much longer, but you can see that this is a huge issue, our federal debt. And um, it's not about us. We've all gotten emails for and against. My greatest fear is that we'll have a constitution, but we won't have a country. So this isn't about us. It's about our kids and our grandkids and our great our great grandkids. So I urge your support of HCR 5008. Thank you. For further discussion, the chair recognizes Representative Clifford. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I uh, rise to support uh, HCR 5008. Uh, colleagues, I'm actually a convert to the Convention of States movement. Uh, I was against this uh, throughout my political life until I ran for Congress. And during that time, I spent an awful lot of time in Washington, D.C. And why did I spend a lot of time there? I was fundraising. And I realized through that experience that unfortunately the power of money uh, and the power of incumbency has made this system intransigent and broken. Uh, our citizens have a chance to change the math every two years when they vote, and we choose not to do it. Will Congress fix itself? No way, colleagues. You know that. We are a federation of states, and we states need to take the power back. I'm doing this for my children, for future generations. To me, it's exciting that we would be so revolutionary, if you want to use those words. Our founders were wise people, and they put this there as a tool to be used, and I fully support it. There is no third, uh, 28th Amendment. Does anyone know why? Because the ERA never passed. And Kansas, in 72, is one of the first 35 states to pass it. In the first year, they almost reached the threshold of 38 states. By 77, President Carter decided to extend the deadline three years. But by 82, 38 states had still not ratified the ERA, and thus it does not exist. So it's a very high bar. It's a very big backstop, and the states still have control. Uh, do not fear. Fear the road we are on. Fear, the, fear for our children and our grandchildren. I strongly urge you to join me in converting and voting positively for, for this resolution. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. For further discussion, the chair recognizes Representative Mon. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Good morning, colleagues. Um, after much prayer and consideration and study and research of the subject, I find myself in, in a great deal of agreement with my colleagues who have spoken previously. However, I cannot agree with them on their conclusion, and I will be voting no on this resolution. I owe, think I owe it to my constituents and to uh, my colleagues to explain my vote and to ask you to join me. From a young age, I grew up wanting to come to the United States. I knew instinctively that the United States was an exceptional country that was different from the rest of the world. I didn't understand why at that, that age. I've learned later uh, through study. Uh, it wasn't from formal education through my political science degree or my law degree, but it was in later reading about the history of the Constitution and the history of the founding of this country that I learned that this nation is exceptional because of our Constitution, because of our founding documents. I grew up in a region of the world that was a hot spot in uh, the Cold War, where Marxism and totalitarianism was banging down the door, and I knew even then, as a young boy, that the United States was exceptional and wanted to know why. The United States Declaration of Independence and the Constitution 
is the reason that this country is exceptional. I came to appreciate the brilliance of these documents and that they are the source of American greatness. Some may accuse me of hyperbole or rhetorical flourish, but through my study, I truly came to believe that the Constitution was inspired, divinely inspired to show men what the proper relationship between other men and their government in a civil society is. I understand that Article 5 is a part of that document, but the interpretation of that article will be up to human beings. I simply do not trust Washington politicians to interpret the clause in the long-term interest of protecting the form of government that we've been given, rather than interpreting it to perpetuate their own power and interest. I agree with my friend who spoke previously about not trusting the politicians to not protect their own power, that they will not uh, help themselves, hesitate to help themselves. And I think that is true in the interpretation of Article 5 as well. Article 5 states that upon application of two-thirds of the states, Congress shall convene a convention for proposing amendments. It does not say to consider amendments proposed in the applications by those states. It says, shall call a convention for the purpose of proposing the amendments. It is silent on who appoints the delegates to those conventions, it is silent on who controls the rules of those conventions, and it is silent on what the amendments which will be considered shall be. It does provide that once ratified by two-thirds or three-quarters of the states, the, the proposed amendments will be part of the Constitution. But it provides two ways for ratification. Either three-fourths of the state legislatures or conventions of the three-fourths of the states. Again, Article 5 is silent on who decides whether it shall be decided by state legislators or by conventions of three-fourths of the states. And if by, three by conventions of three-fourths of the state, Article 5 is silent on who appoints the delegates, who makes the rules, and I absolutely believe that while I absolutely believe that the founding founders intended that this process would be controlled by the states, as a lawyer, I know that when we interpret the Constitution, we look at the language first and then at the intent. The language is not ambiguous. The language simply says what it says. I do not trust that the federal government and the, the politicians in Congress uh, today or tomorrow or 10 or 15 or 20 years from now will do the right thing and allow the states to control, control this pro process. We do not know when the two-thirds threshold will be met. We do not know who will be in control of Congress at that time. We do not know who will be seeking to influence Congress at that time and what their motivating interests may be. Where it comes down to is that I'm unwilling to trust our Constitution, this Constitution that has made this country what it is, to unknown people who have unknown influences at an unknown time in the future. The fact is that the tools to fix the problems that this country faces already exist. If politicians and the people would simply have the will to exercise those tools. The Convention to Propose Amendments to the Constitution, the Convention to Propose Amendments to the Constitution is part of our Constitution, and I understand that. I, I agree with the reasons behind 
the, the desire to call a convention of the states. I simply do not trust the politicians now or in the future to do the right thing and turn that process over to the states. I urge you to vote no on this resolution, and I understand that this uh, goes against the grain for a constitutional conservative, but I respect the process and I respect the Constitution too much to give it over to people who I don't know and, I don't, and whose interests I, have, I don't trust. So I would urge you to vote no on, on this resolution. Thank you. For further discussion, the chair recognizes Representative Hauser. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Here we are again. I call this one the kitchen sink of COS. It's got not one, it's got two, it's got three items on it. That's triple the danger. I'm not going to sit up here and go through all that. It's been gone through two or three times already. I've said it every time I come up here. And if it hasn't sunk in yet, you're either deaf or delusional. I do have a couple of questions, though. Would the carrier of the bill come up for the resolution? Representative, I'm going to call you the expert on the COS bill today because you're the one carrying it. What kind of uh, amendment to restrain them physically would you guys be proposing? It's a general concept. The exact uh, wording would be determined by the convention. Why do you think it is we have $30 trillion debt? The federal government spending is out of control. Well, it's that, but I would argue that state spending is the same. I've been up here for, this will be 11 years now. Every single year, the budget has gone up exponentially. I mean, why is that? Because we can't seem to restrain ourselves. Well, I sit on a budget committee represented. Do you? No, sir. Every year, I'm on public safety and budget committee. Every year, we go through the same thing. Department of Corrections, Highway Patrol. We, can't, we don't have enough money to pay our people. We lose them. We can't keep them. We need more money. need higher wages. I understand that. I really do. But why do, we, why do we need that? Why do we need that all the time? Why do we have to have more and more money to keep operating? We don't. We choose to allow more money. All right. I'm going to let we'll drop that. I'll come back to that in a minute. What kind of bill are you going to introduce or amendment are you going to introduce that's going to uh, limit their power and jurisdiction? That's going to be decided at the convention. If I get to go as a delegate, I'll participate in that. Otherwise, I won't have any participation in that. So you don't even have an idea what you're going to go talk about yet? We have three ideas of what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be talked about at the convention. It's not up for me to talk about it now. It would be up for me to talk about it if I get uh, appointed to be a delegate to the convention. I don't know if I want you to be my delegate at one of those. You don't even know what you're going to do. Term limits, that's the third leg of this stool. We've been there and done that and defeated that two weeks ago. Uh, and that was brought up, and I want to make a, a matter of note here. I co-sponsored that House Resolution 5007, which would bring term limits upon state members, and it hadn't even got looked at. So if we're going to do this, and let's don't be hypocritical, let's look at our own self first. Um, I, think, I think we're done, Representative. Okay, thank you. If you need, got anything else, let me know. I, I probably will if I need to come back. I don't plan on being up here that much longer. I just want to drive a few points home. A, they have no, they don't know what they're doing. They have no answer. Yeah, we're just going to go up there, going to sign everything at the convention. Do you know why we have a $31 trillion deficit? Anybody know what the Federal Reserve Bank is? 
created in 1913. You know the dollar bill that was 1913, you know how much that dollar bill is worth in 2023? Three cents. Three cents. They don't, they don't have an answer. If you want an answer, the answer would be a repeal of the Federal Reserve Act. That's what the answer is, and establish sound money again. That's the answer. Now, hopefully, if this thing passes, you guys got a, an idea now. Repeal the, repeal the 1913 Act that created the Federal Reserve Bank. <sighs> I tell you. It gets exhausting, it really does, I mean. But that's why, even in the state of Kansas, that's why our budgets keep going up and up. Because things cost more and more. Because the dollar is worthless. So, you know, they don't have the answer to that. That's the only answer there is to that problem of fiscal responsibility to get rid of the Federal Reserve Bank. Limit the power and, and jurisdiction. They don't have the answer. Before, one of the previous speakers came up and talked about interposition. I agree fully with interposition. As a matter of fact, I introduced two bills this year, soon to be a third that interposes the state of Kansas interposes against the federal government on some gun, gun control bills uh, they just ruled against. And uh, interposition, that's what the Missouri Sacramento Protection Act was all about. And it just got ruled unconstitutional by a federal judge. Well, I got word to get around that. That's another story. I want you to join me today. I'm going to close with my little argument here. I want you to join me today and vote no. Let's defeat this bill like we did the other one. Resolution, whatever you want to call it. You know, there's five other states that defeated a convention state's resolution this year. Wyoming, Montana, North Dakota, New Hampshire, Virginia, and us make six with their term limit bill two weeks ago. So let's make it, let's make history and be, let Kansas be the first one to deny them two, two bills in one year. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. For further, for further discussion, Chair recognizes Representative Vic Miller. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I rise in strong support of this resolution. Please hold your applause. I want to refer to a prop that I brought up here with me called the Rules of the Kansas House of Representatives. And if the carrier of the resolution was make, would make his way here, I have a question for him after I read from these rules. Rule 2901 Concurrent resolutions to make any application for Congress to call a convention for pro proposing amendments to the Constitution of the United States shall, shall have a resolving clause which reads, quote, be it resolved by the legislature of the state of Kansas, two-thirds of the members elected to the House of Representatives and two-thirds of the members elected to the Senate concurring therein. My question for the carrier is, does House Concurrent Resolution 5008 contain this mandatory language? Thank you, Mr. Uh, Leader. The um, Speaker Pro Tem is going to be speaking and addressing that very question, and he's in a much better position to give you a more thorough answer than I am. So I would defer to him at the appropriate time. Well, if I may, Mr. Chairman, then I would yield to the Speaker Pro Tem to answer my question. And indicated that the, the question will be answered at the appropriate time. 
Well, I hear laughter, but it's a serious enough question. I think the appropriate time would be now. This is the third time this issue has been raised. For those of you who weren't here before, it was raised in a previous session, and it was addressed by an amendment correcting the problem. It was raised two weeks ago, or whatever the time was, when we discussed a convention of states, and it was corrected by amendment, as was agreed to at the time that it was necessary. This is the third time a resolution has, uh, of similar nature has come to us without the required language. And I'm asking the question, why not? The carrier of the bill refuses to answer the question. I don't know if he doesn't know or he's afraid of the answer. He indicates that the Speaker Pro Tem can answer the question, but he refuses to do so. And I guess my question now is, when is the appropriate time? Let me ask that of the carrier and see what his opinion is. I see you're going to be offering an amendment. I think the appropriate time might be after you offer your amendment. Well, I did not realize my skull was transparent, but I'm having no intention of offering an amendment. So that didn't answer my question. But I would say the appropriate time is when you yield the podium. I yield to the Speaker Pro Tem. I would say when you yield without the ability to come back, unless you want to come back for a second time, if you're ready to sit down now, now would be the appropriate time. If you're not, then it's not the appropriate time. Well, isn't this interesting? We'll answer your question when you have no opportunity to respond to the answer. Why is this such a tough question? that it can't be answered now. What skullduggery is going on here? Now, I got up here saying I supported this resolution, but I'm rapidly thinking perhaps I need to change my mind based on what I'm not being told. Would the carrier yield to an additional question? I'll give it my best shot. And that's all I ask, sir. And remember, it's not an embarrassment to say you don't know. I learned that a couple of weeks ago. And that was pointed out to me just yesterday when I reluctantly had to admit that I didn't know something. It, it doesn't hurt that much. It just no. stings a little. Anyway. As was touched on by the previous speaker, there is language in the resolution that reads, among the reasons we're requesting Convention of States pursuant to this resolution is to limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. And as I understood your answer to his asking you what that meant, you basically said you didn't know. No, I, what I said was that uh, determination would be up to the delegates at the convention. So you don't know? I'm saying that it's not appropriate for me to say at this time, because it's, at this point I've not been and I may never be appointed a delegate to the convention. It will be up to the members of the delegate delegates or actually correctly identified as commissioners to the convention to make that decision. You would admit that that language is somewhat wide open. Yes, sir. So let me give you a hypothetical. Should the delegates adopt this as a proposed amendment to the Constitution, would it suffer scrutiny as a 
limit on the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. Quote, the federal government shall have no power to regulate a woman's right to an abortion. Could that be such an amendment submitted to the several states? Certainly it could be. I would be vehemently opposed to that. And I believe that uh, three quarters of the states would not support such an amendment. But could it be? Yes, it could be. Well, I dare say that a lot of people would have speculated that on August the 2nd, the state, the voters of the state of Kansas would have not have adopted a position very uh, likened to this language, but they did in an overwhelming number. So to say that you don't think three-fourths of the state populations would approve such an amendment really does call for speculation. I dare say it's possible, and that's quite honestly, thank you, sir. Thank you. Why I'm so excited about a convention of states. One of the reasons I'm excited about a convention of states is we need a process in place to correct the abomination that is known as Dodds. We need in this country to protect a woman's right to choose, her bodily autonomy, and I think the people, more so than the politicians, might be the answer to such a dilemma. Perhaps Convention of States, with delegates chosen who knows how, might submit to the, the voters of the respective states this limitation on the federal government. Quote, the federal government shall have no power to limit a state's right to regulate firearms. That, again, without asking the carrier, I don't think I need to. I think he's conceded the breadth, the absolute breadth of what we have in front of us when we say nothing more then limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, that that too would be a limitation. And because we fear so much the structure of how we finance and elect our current politicians, perhaps the Convention of States will consider this as a proposition. The federal government shall have no power to limit a state's right to limit campaign contributions. That certainly is an overdue revision of our political structure, and I would be very excited to see a convention of states discuss that. These are three examples of why I so strongly support a convention of states, because I think that's the best way for the people to say what government they want, what powers of government they want, and what changes they want that are currently being ignored by today's politicians and representatives. I reiterate, I stand in strong support of this resolution. Hold your applause. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Is there any further discussion? Seeing none, Representative, you may close. Representative Berquist. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Words established a long time ago, and also words that were established after a long train of abuses and usurpations on the people who came to this land, and some of them were already here, uh, to express their own freedom and expression of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth a separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitled them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind require that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men 
are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. Instituting new government, laying its foundation in such principles and organizing its power in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed shall dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind is more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to alter the forms to which they're accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations deriving invariably the same object, events a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to organize new forms for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such is now the duty which constrains them to throw off their former systems of government. I come to that to say this, I don't want to throw over, over this system of government. I'm very thankful for it. I think it was God-ordained. And I have no uh, bashfulness about saying that. But nor do I believe that we should continue to let the degradation of that system of government we have now continue to be disregarded by, as the, one of the previous speakers spoke, the bureaucratic system that's, that's overtaken that we've abrogated that government too. And that bureaucratic system that continues through one party and then the other, and from one party to the other, and to, to continues to destroy the fiber of the Constitution that has such good intent and good design. It's when that is ignored by lies, it's ignored by uh, intent, it's in ignored by a simple disrespect for that Constitution, that I believe that the protection and the, re and the rebuilding and the, and the undergirding of that Constitution is a far greater uh, plan than to have to throw over such government or to have to uh, have a revolution. That revolution happened because a long train of abuses and usurpations had continued to roll. I don't want to be a part of watching things fall while I worry about how the uh, effect of a convention of states might, uh, might do something and somebody might use it in a wrong way. People, the, the system we have is being abused and used the wrong way every day. And we need to, uh, if we care about this nation, we need to uphold it and protect it by providing those securities within the constitutional provisions. That is that convention of states. That's why I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of a convention. And I'd rather see that at least staged than to, than to continue to see our nation fall apart and say, well, that was great. Thank you for considering this passage of HCR 5008. For further discussion, the chair recognizes Representative Blake Carpenter. Thank you, Mr. Chair. So today I rise in support of HCR 5008, and there's been a lot of uh, great comments that I would just say ditto on up here from the, those on the supporting side. Now, earlier we were talking, there was a representative up here talking and taking questions or not taking questions or whatever was going on with that. And what I wanted to say is that according to the revisers, the resolving clause is, is fine. It's legal and it is appropriate. And so I wanted to make that note real quick and uh, let the body be aware of that. But thank you, Mr. Chair. And again, I ask that you vote in favor of HCR 5008. Is there further discussion? 
Seeing none, Representative Sanders, you may close. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Before I get completely into my closing, you'll recall that um, at the beginning, I asked you to write down the current national debt. I had my good friend, who's the chairman of our tax committee, do that and do some math for me. We began debate on this at 11.28 a.m. And at 12.18 p.m., 50 minutes into this debate, our national debt had risen to approximately $31,650,340,000. Just in the 50 minutes, the first 50 minutes of this debate, our national debt rose $76 million. So in closing, I want to say that yes, calling a convention of states comes with some risk. Risk we cannot possibly identify until the time comes that we do it. However, I would submit to you that the greater risk is waiting and doing nothing now. Our federal government is broken. As we just heard, our debt is out of control. The unfunded mandates that the feds are constantly imposing on Kansas and the other 49 states are ridiculous. I think it's silly to believe that the professional politicians who got us into this mess will somehow magically get us out of it. A convention of states is going to happen. Not this year, maybe not next year, but at some point, the people of this country are going to realize the availability of this powerful tool our wise and founding fathers gave us, and an Article 5 convention will be called. I submit to you that it would be better if that be sooner rather than later. Now, you can choose to live your life in fear. It's your life, and if you wish, you can live in fear. I, there's nothing I can do to talk you out of that. But I can tell you that it is exactly what the opponents of this uh, resolution who have been e emailing us, many from out of state, I might add, this is exactly what they are counting on. They are counting on you to be afraid. However, I say now is the time to act and to act boldly. Mr. Chair, I move within the, when the committee rises and reports, it reports HCR 5008 favorably for passage. You've heard the motion by Representative Sanders to report HCR 5008 favorably. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Opposed, no. The ayes appear to have it. The ayes do have Vision has been called. The clerk. Roll call, seeing 15 hands, roll call is in order. The clerk will open the rolls and you may record your vote. Has every member had the opportunity to vote? Nope. You cannot take pictures of the board. That is against the rules. You'll be asked to leave. The clerk will close the roll and take the tally. Does anyone wish to change his or her vote? Representative Gatz says aye. Any other changes of vote? 73 having voted in favor and 46 against the passage of HCR 5008, the motion is hereby passed. The clerk will record the vote. 
And there you have it, folks, by a vote of 73 to 46, the Kansas House of Representatives has voted on second reading to pass our Convention of States application. And so we'll move on to third reading tomorrow. This was a huge victory for our team in Kansas. So congratulations to all of our Kansas volunteer grassroots team. And I know they're actually headed out to the steps of the Capitol right now for a rally to celebrate this historic victory in the Kansas House of Representatives. If you're just joining us, the Kansas House has just voted on second reading to pass our resolution by a vote of 73. I had 46. Producer G is showing me 47, but we certainly had 73 votes in favor of our Convention of States application. So it's a huge victory. And this is a historic day in Kansas. As I mentioned earlier, we are expecting the Kansas Senate to also act on our Convention of States application today. And that will come later this afternoon. I believe the Senate is expected to convene at around 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. So stay tuned for that later. And thank you all for watching. We'll see what happens tomorrow with Kansas on third reading, but it's been a great day. Thanks, everyone. This has been the podcast version of COS Live. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.